Volume two, chapter seven of Willard's Weird by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter seven. The general receives a summons. While Bothwell was working out a scheme of, of an industrious, unpretentious life to be spent with the woman he loved on that wild Cornish coast on which he had been reared, and which was to him as a passion, Lady Valeria Harborough was shining in the county and military society within twenty miles of Plymouth, admired, envied, to outward seeming the most fortunate of women. She went everywhere, she received everyone worth receiving she had brought something of the easy manners the unceremonious gaiety of simla to her devonshire villa her afternoon parties were the liveliest in the neighbourhood her weekly musical evenings were the rage she engaged the best professional talent obtainable for these evenings she rigidly eschewed the amateur element she selected music and songs with an extraordinary tact and contrived that no hackneyed composition should ever be heard at her parties the newest ballads the last successes in modern classical music were first revealed to county society at fox hill there people heard the gavotte that was going to be fashionable the song that was to be the rage next season and on these evenings when the flowery corridors and the long suite of rooms were filled with guests when the spacious music-room with its two grand pianos and magnificent organ was thrown open to the crowd lady valeria circulated amidst the throng a queen among women not so beautiful as the fairest of her guests but by far the most attractive of them all there was a subtle charm in those dreamy eyes and in that languid smile beardless subalterns worshipped her as if she had been a goddess and many a man who could hardly have been included in lady valeria's list of nice boys felt his heart beat faster as she lingered by his side for a few minutes she had a smile and a word for every one who crossed her threshold the most insignificant guest was greeted and remembered she seemed a woman who lived only for society who had fulfilled her mission when she had been admired the general was proud of his young wife's success delighted that his house should be known as the pleasantest in the county he could afford that money should be spent as if it were water he never complained of the expenses of his establishment but he knew the cost of everything and paid all accounts with his own cheques unluckily for lady valeria old habits of strict accountancy acquired in the early days when he was adjutant of his regiment had clung to him he liked accounts and was in some measure his own house steward there was no possibility of lady valeria's gambling debts being paid out of the domestic funds everything was done on a large scale but by line and rule a royal household could not have been managed more rigidly thus it was that lady valeria's money difficulties were very real difficulties and it was only by a full confession of her folly that she could have obtained her husband's help it was just this confession this humiliation to which lady valeria could not bring herself candour was the very last virtue to which she inclined she had not been brought up in the school of truth her father had been a tyrant her mother a dealer in expedients a diplomatist 
a marvel of tact and cleverness able to achieve wonders in domestic management and in social policy but life at Calaverock castle had been a constant strain and duplicity had become an instinct with mother and children there had been always something to hide from the earl a son's debts a daughter's flirtation a milliner's bill a debt of honor valeria had been oppressed with gambling debts before she was twenty she had played deep and borrowed money in her first season she had married hoping that general harborough's wealth would be hers to spend as she pleased but in this she had been disappointed she had married the most generous of men but she had married a man of business he made a magnificent settlement before marriage he made a will after marriage leaving the bulk of his fortune to his young wife to be hers and in her own control if there were no children hers without an embargo against a second marriage she had pin money that would have been a liberal allowance for a countess but she had not the handling of her husband's income she could not have cheated him out of a five-pound note he had told her in the beginning of their married life that it would be so he was a man of business and she was too young to be troubled with the sordid details of domestic life order what you like love make our home as beautiful as you can i will pay your bills and take care that you are not cheated by your tradesmen at the outset lady valeria had accepted this arrangement as altogether delightful but there came a time when she found that it had its inconveniences tonight in the balmy september weather the windows of the villa were all open to the sky and the garden open to the music of the distant sea and lady valeria was sitting in the veranda where a week ago she had bidden farewell to bothwell graham it was nearly midnight and the crowd was concentrated in the music-room where herr stallman was playing a new sauterelle on his violoncello the moon was shining over the sea yonder gleaming upon the long white line of the breakwater and the distant view of town and harbour looked even more italian than in the daytime lady valeria wore a long flowing gown of an almost grecian simplicity a gown of dead white cashmere bordered with a marvellous embroidery of peacock's feathers which fell in a slanting line from shoulder to hem the brilliant colouring flashing in the moonlight as the wearer slowly fanned herself with a large peacock feather fan are you not afraid to wear so many peacock's feathers asked a gentleman who was sitting at her elbow a handsome man of about forty a man who was not altogether good style in dress or manner but who had a certain ease and authority which indicated good birth and the habits of fashionable society this was sir george varney a personage in the racing world but reputed to have been utterly broken for the last three years in the racing world there is always a chance so long as a man can keep his head above water and sir george might still have a future before him although he was supposed to have spent his last farthing and mortgaged his last acre he always contrived to get money when he wanted it and he had contrived to lend money to lady valeria why should i not wear peacock's feathers lady valeria asked languidly her profile was turned to him her eyes were looking towards the line of moonlight on the sea the white walls of barracks and storehouses she did not take the trouble to turn her face to her companion as she spoke to him pale languid 
dreamy she seemed the very image of indifference because they are considered so casting about for a mild expression confoundedly unlucky i remember the morning of the oaks the year my cherry ripe shut up like a telescope half a furlong from the winning post my sister grace drove up to hatchets to meet the drag i was to drive her and a lot of em to epsom don't you know with an infernal pork pie hat made out of a peacock's breast what did you wear that damn thing for i asked because it's the fashion says she shouldn't wonder if my mare lost the race on account of your damned tile says i grace chaffed me for my superstition but the mare made a most unaccountable mess of herself don't you know and the devil himself or that peacock feather hat must have been at the bottom of it i don't think the peacock's feathers will make any difference to me replied valeria wearily i have been unlucky all my life well fate has been rather hard upon you said sir george drawing his chair a little nearer to hers gazing at the delicate profile with a more ardent look than was quite within the lines of friendship and good fellowship a beautiful young woman married to a man old enough to be her grandfather carried off to broil away her existence in bengal when she ought to have been one of the queens of london society stinted to a bare allowance of pin-money hardly enough to pay her dressmaker by jove when she ought to have had the command of her husband's purse why not cut the whole business valeria and go to the south of france with me directly after the newmarket week i stand to win a pot of money and we can spend it merrily at monaco i know how to make plenty more where that's gone and by and by when the general goes off the hooks we can make things fair and square with the world or before if you'd rather not wait the thing can be so easily managed look at your cousin lady cassandra and the colonel and the duke and his countess change of partners all round he tried to encircle the slim waist with his strong arm the arm of a man who had won cups at lilybridge in days gone by but valeria snatched herself from him with a disdainful laugh rose from her chair and walked to the other end of the veranda he following her sorely disconcerted he had been watching for his opportunity and he fancied the opportunity had come he had neither creed nor principles of his own and he believed that people who pretended to be better than himself were all hypocrites like dumas's hero he was ready to admit that there might be good women in the world only he had never happened to meet with one he had made himself useful to lady valeria had told her what horses to back and had helped her to win a good deal of money since her return to england her losses had been the result of her own inspirations and of late when she had so lost sir george had found her the money to settle with the bookmen and having done all this and having devoted all his leisure to the cultivation of lady valeria's acquaintance he deemed that the time was ripe for him to ask her to run away with him he had run away with so many women in the course of the last twenty years that his manner of proposing the thing had become almost a formula he modified his appeal according to the rank of the adored one had his first second and first class supplications but it was not in his nature to be poetical had he been making love to an empress he could not have risen to any loftier height than that which he had reached to-night lady valeria turned at the end of the veranda and faced him deliberately in the bright cold moonlight 
a white and ghost-like figure with pale face and flashing eyes she measured him from head to foot with a look of unqualified scorn gazed at him steadily with eyes that seemed to read all the secrets of his evil life and then slowly unfurling her peacock fan she broke into a silvery laugh long and clear and sweet but with a ring of contemptuousness in its every note you are mistaken sir george she said quietly moving towards the open window of the corridor as if to return to the house your almost infallible judgment is at fault i am not that kind of a person she would have passed him and gone into the house but he put himself between her and the open window he barred her way with all the hulk of his handsome overdressed person that ringing laughter the insolent sparkle in her magnificent eyes goaded him to madness sir george had a diabolical temper and the insensate vanity of a successful roué that any woman could really despise him was beyond his power of belief but a woman who pretended to despise him put herself beyond the pale of his courtesy no he muttered savagely you are not that kind of person you are not that kind of person for me because of the last three years you have been that kind of person for somebody else i thought you must have been tired of bothwell graham by this time and that i should have had my chance in a breath as if from the stroke of a cyclops hammer george varney had measured his length upon the tessellated pavement under the veranda it was an old man's arm that felled him but an athlete of five-and-twenty could not have struck a firmer blow general harborough had stolen into the gardens to smoke a solitary cigar while herr stolman played his sauterelle and coming quietly round the house he had approached the veranda just in time to hear sir george's last speech he had not hesitated a minute as to the manner of his answer go to your guests valeria he said with quiet command i will see to this blackguard valeria obeyed half mechanically the shock of those last few moments had made thought impossible her mind seemed to have suddenly become a blank she went through the brilliant rooms wondering at the lights and flowers and smartly dressed people seeing everything vaguely with a puzzled doubtfulness as to her own identity she talked and laughed with more than usual animation for the rest of the evening she had a friendly smile and a pleasant word for each departing guest she enchanted the artists by her appreciation of their work yet she had no more consciousness of what she said or to whom she spoke than a condemned criminal might have on the eve of his execution it was nearly two o'clock when she went to her own rooms those spacious rooms with their windows looking different ways over hill and valley town and sea rooms beautified by all that art and wealth can compass in the way of luxury rooms in which she had sat hour after hour day after day brooding treason caring more for one look from bothwell's dark eyes than for all that glory of sea and land for all the luxuries with which an adoring husband had surrounded her she had seen the general moving about among his guests at the last she had heard the strong cheery tones of his voice as he parted with some particular friend and now she wondered if she would find him in her morning-room where on such a night as this they had been wont to spend half an hour in light careless talk after the people were gone he sitting out on the balcony perhaps smoking a final cigar 
yes he was there before her sitting on a sofa in a meditative attitude with his elbow on his knee far from the lamp with its low spreading shade a lamp which shed as brilliant light upon lady valeria's own particular writing-table and left all the rest of the room in shadow then at the sight of that familiar figure the bent head the honoured grey hairs all the horror of the scene in the veranda flashed back upon her the unmitigated insult of sir george's speech such insult as might have been flung at the lowest woman in london speech shaped just as it might have been shaped for such a one that she lady valeria harborough should have such dirt cast in her face and that the man who had so spoken could live to tell other men what he had said to boast of himself at the clubs would to god that blow had killed him she said to herself and then she went across the room and knelt at her husband's feet and took his strong hand in hers and covered it with kisses god bless you for defending me she said i am not a good woman i am not worthy of you but i am not such a wretch as that man's words would make me you will believe that won't you walter yes my dear i believe that i cannot think you a false wife valeria though you may be an unloving one i have thought for a long time that the sweet words and sweeter smiles which have made the light of my life might mean very little might mean just the daily sacrifice which a young wife makes to an old husband and nothing more yet i have contrived to be happy valeria in spite of all such doubts and now this man's foul taunt comes like a blast from a polar sea and freezes my blood what did it mean valeria i thought bothwell graham was my friend i have been almost as fond of him as if he were my son he is your friend walter yes your true and loyal friend more loyal than i have been as your wife what disloyalty have you practised towards me he demanded grasping her by the shoulder looking into those frightened eyes of hers with his honest steady gaze the look of a man who would read all secrets in her face even the worst what has there ever been between you and bothwell which could involve disloyalty to me don't lie to me valeria there must have been some meaning in that man's speech he would not have dared so to have spoken if he had not known something what has bothwell been to you he loved me faltered the pale lips and you returned his love she only hung her head for answer the beautiful head on the slim and graceful throat circled with that string of pearls which had been her husband's last birthday gift you returned his love and you encouraged him to come to your husband's house to be your chosen companion at all times and seasons the nice boy of whom you spoke so lightly as to disarm suspicion by heaven i would as soon have suspected your footman as bothwell graham he was never more than a friend i knew how to respect myself she answered with a touch of sullenness you knew how to respect yourself and you spent half your days in the society of a lover is that your idea of self-respect it is not mine you respected yourself and you were careful of your own interests so far as to refrain from running away with the man you loved what need of an elopement when the sands must soon run down in the hourglass and the grey-haired veteran would be gone leaving you a rich widow free to marry the man of your heart no need to defy the world to outrage society when everything would work round naturally to give you your own way 
oh valeria it is hard for a man to have his eyes opened after years of blissful blindness i was better off as your dupe than i am as your confessor he laughed bitterly a contemptuous laugh at the thought of his own folly to think that he had believed it possible this woman could love him this lovely spiritual creature all light and flame to suppose that such a woman could be happy as an old man's darling that this young bright soul could be satisfied with the worship of declining years the steady glow of affection constant profound but passionless no for such a soul as this the fiery element was a necessity love without passion was love without poetry well the dream was over he could believe that this proud woman had not dishonored him that she could stand before the eyes of men stainless a faithful wife as the world counts faithfulness but he felt not the less that the dream of his declining years was over that she could never more be to him as she had been the sweet companion of his leisure the trusted partner of his life that was all over and done with he was not going to revile her or to torture her or to thrust her from him to what end the gulf would be wide enough they two living side by side he would pay her all honor before the world to the end of his days to live with her and to be kind to her knowing that her heart belonged to another should be his sacrifice his penance for having tied that young sapling to his withered trunk i have noticed that graham has kept aloof from us as late he said after a long silence why is that we agreed that it was better we should see no more of each other his wife answered quietly i hope you will always remain in that agreement said the general he sat up till daybreak and he occupied part of his time in writing the rough draft of a codicil to his will which he meant to take to his london solicitors at the earliest opportunity the codicil lessened lady valeria's fortune considerably and allotted forty thousand pounds to a fund the interest of which was to be distributed in the form of pensions to twenty widows of field officers who had died in impoverished circumstances this subtraction would still leave an estate which would make lady valeria harborough a very rich widow and a splendid prize in the matrimonial market she will marry bothwell graham and forget the days of her slavery thought the general as he wrote the closing paragraph of his codicil it was from no malignant feeling against his wife that he made this change in the disposition of his wealth he felt that the act was mere justice to the wife whom he had believed wholly true he bequeathed all to the woman who had been only half loyal he left half a mean man would have fettered his bequest by the prohibition of a second marriage but general harborough was not that kind of man he wondered whether sir george varney would take any action in the matter of that blow he had assisted the fallen man to a chair in the veranda and had taken him a tumbler of brandy which sir george drank as if it had been water in his half-stunned condition the baronet had sworn an oath or two and had walked off muttering curses which might mean threats of speedy vengeance if he is the scoundrel i think him he will send me a summons in order to drag my wife's name before the public thought general harborough nor was he mistaken for the summons was served within two days of the assault it was delivered at the villa in the general's absence he had started for bath by an early train that morning in order to attend the funeral of an old friend and brother officer 
upon the following day he had an idea of going on from bath to london to see his solicitors and to execute the codicil which was to diminish lady valeria's future means at the station he met bothwell graham who was on his way to dawlish there had been a reserve in the young man's manner of late which had puzzled the general he had been inclined to put down the change to a deterioration in graham's character a general going to the bad for he had an instinctive prejudice against a soldier who could voluntarily abandon his profession it was bad enough for a man to be thrown out of active service in the prime of life in accordance with new-fangled rules and regulations but that a young man should abandon soldiering for any other career seemed to general harborough at once inexplicable and discreditable bothwell graham is getting a regular hang-dog look thought the general and i am not surprised at it he has thrown away splendid opportunities and is leading an idle good-for-nothing life and now the general knew the meaning of that hang-dog look that reserved manner which had struck him as the outward sign of an inward deterioration in the man he had loved as a son he could understand what agonies of shame and remorse bothwell must have felt when their hands touched what self-contempt was expressed in that cloudy brow and furtive glance what then was his surprise this morning to see bothwell approach him with a beaming countenance holding out the hand of friendship my dear general i am so glad to see you it is such an age since we met he exclaimed in cheeriest tones yes there was the old ring in his voice the old heartiness which had made bothwell so different from the race of languid foplings the haw-haw tribe yes it is some time since we met answered the general coldly but i dare say you and my wife have seen each other pretty frequently during that time you are the kind of man our neighbours call l'ami de la maison we english have a less honourable name for the species we call them tame cats bothwell reddened and then grew pale never before had those kindly eyes of the veterans looked at him as they looked to-day never before had general harborough addressed him in a tone which sounded like deliberate insult i have been proud to be lady valeria's guest he said quietly his heart beating furiously the while and have never considered myself degraded by any attention i was able to show to her i hope she is well she is very well how long is it since you were at fox hill nearly a fortnight so long i have been very much occupied said bothwell divining that something had occurred to excite the general's suspicions and that it behoved him to speak frankly of his new hopes i have been working a good deal harder than i have ever worked since i passed my last examination but we are just going to start may i get into the same carriage with you if you like said the general which hardly sounded encouraging but bothwell who was virtuously travelling third class got into a first-class compartment with the general and pray what new trade are you working at asked the old man fixing bothwell with a clear keen gaze of honest gray eyes eyes which had almost the brightness of youth bothwell explained his new plans the general listening with polite attention but with none of the old friendliness that cheery kindness which had so often been to bothwell as a whip of scorpions torturing him with the sense of his own meanness and pray what may be the motive of this industrious spurt asked the general what has inspired this idea of a useful life a very old-fashioned and hackneyed motive general i am engaged to be married and have to think of how i can best provide a home for my wife indeed is the engagement of long standing 
not at all i have been engaged within the last fortnight but i have known and admired the lady for a long time general harborough looked at him searchingly was this a lie a ready lie invented on the spur of the moment to dispel suspicion bothwell had doubtless perceived the alteration in his old friend's feelings towards him and he might consider this notion of an engagement the readiest way of throwing dust in a husband's eyes do i know the young lady he asked quietly i think not she has been much away from her home but her brother is a well-known personage in plymouth the lady is hilda heathcote sister of mr heathcote the coroner for cornwall indeed i have heard of mr heathcote so you are going to marry miss heathcote rather a good match i suppose i have never considered it from a worldly point of view miss heathcote is a most lovable girl and has all the charms and accomplishments which the most exacting lover could desire in his betrothed and i am infinitely proud of having won her he met the general's eyes and the steady light in his own was the light of truth general harborough doubted him no longer if he had ever loved valeria that passion was extinct dead as the flames of dido's funeral pyre the man who sat face to face with general harborough today was a happy lover his countenance radiant with the light of a pure and authorized love when are you going to be married asked the general after a longish pause as soon as i can set my house in order and induce hilda to name the day answered bothwell frankly my dear girl has to be submissive to her brother's will in this matter and he is now in paris nothing can be finally settled till he comes back i am stealing a march upon him to-day in going to see the lady who has been sent to dawlish to be out of my way oh she is at dawlish is she yes she is staying there with her nieces and their governess i am going to consult her about our house our house what pride there was in the utterance the general's doubts were gradually melting away he could not believe that a man who was so obviously in love with his betrothed could have ever cared much for valeria to have loved her to have exchanged her love for that of any other woman living seemed to the general an impossibility to begin to think that his wife had exaggerated the situation the other night in the overwrought state of her nerves stung to madness by varney's insolent speech excited by her husband's retaliation he began to think that there had been only the mildest flirtation between bothwell and his wife the ordinary up-country sentimentality meaningless puerile he tried to comfort himself with this view of the case his natural kindness of heart prompted him to help bothwell if he could he wanted to respect the wife he loved to think well of the man who had saved his life my dear bothwell he said you have come to a crisis in life which most men find as costly as it is delightful if by any chance you happen to be what our young people call short i hope you will allow me to be your banker you are too good faltered bothwell strongly moved you have always been too good to me ever so much better than i deserved no i am wonderfully well off my cousin has advanced me a sum of money which she wishes me to take as a gift but which i intend to treat as a loan that is generally a distinction without a difference when the transaction is between relations said the general smiling oh but in this case i hope the loan will be repaid for the repayment will hinge upon my prosperity i have opened a banking account at bodmin and feel myself a moneyed man 
general harborough encouraged bothwell to talk of his sweetheart and his prospects all the way to dawlish and then when the train stopped at the little station beside the sea bothwell and his old friend shook hands cordially and bothwell felt that he could clasp that honest hand without a pang of conscience little did he think that it was the last time that hand would rest in his let me know the date of your wedding cried the general as the train moved off and bothwell went in high spirits to look for the temple in the shape of a pretty little house in the garden by the sea which enshrined his goddess fortune seemed to be showering her gifts upon him with a bounteous hand nothing could have been more propitious than this meeting with general harborough who had promised all the help his influence could afford to the army coach the general went on to his destination the gay white city of bath had no attraction for him upon this particular afternoon he called on the widow of his old friend and comforted her as much as it was possible for any one to comfort her in her great sorrow he dined alone and sadly at his hotel and as he sat and pondered on the events of the last week he began to speculate how much or how little grief his widow would feel when her day of mourning came would her eyelids be puffy and red as poor mrs thornton's had been this afternoon when he was talking to her would her swollen lips quiver and her distorted features twitch convulsively would her whole frame be shaken with sobs when she talked of the departed he could not imagine lady valeria with puffy eyelids or swollen lips he pictured her mourning gracefully clad in softest white draperies reclining in a darkened room in an atmosphere perfumed with tuberose and stephanotis he pictured her with a sphinx-like countenance calm beautiful an expression which might mean deepest grief or stoniest indifference as the world chose to construe it no honestly after considering the question from every possible point of view general harborough did not believe that his wife would grieve for him it will be a relief to her when i am gone he said to himself how could i expect her to grieve as thornton's wife grieves those two were boy and girl together had been husband and wife for thirty years his dinner had been only a pretense of dining a mockery which had made the head waiter quite unhappy nothing so distresses a good waiter as a guest who won't eat the waiter would have been still more troubled in mind had he known that this fine-looking old man with an erect figure and broad shoulders had eaten hardly anything for the last three days the general had been suffering all that time from a fever of the brain which had brought about a feverish condition of the body he could neither eat nor sleep he lay broad awake in the unfamiliar room at the hotel staring at the blank white blinds faintly illuminated by the lamps in the street below he lay and thought over his wedded life which unrolled itself before him in a series of pictures and he saw the bitter truth underlying his marriage with lord carlaverock's daughter he had been nothing but a convenience to valeria the provider of fine houses and fine gowns horses and carriages she had not even cared for him as friend and protector she had lived her own life paying him for all benefits with sweet false words and sweeter falser kisses and now the spell was broken the dream had come to an end all at once he could never believe in sweet words or kisses again 
he had looked into the heart of this woman he had loved so well and he knew that it was false to the core the next day was wild and stormy rain and wind wind and rain a gray sky a heavy pall of cloud through which the sun pierced not once in the long bleak day one of those days which nature keeps in stock for the funerals of our friends general harborough stood in the dreary cemetery and let the wind and rain beat upon him unflinchingly for about forty minutes he paid every tribute of respect that could be paid to his old comrade and then he went off to the railway station to go back to plymouth by the train which left bath at five o'clock and would arrive in plymouth a little before eleven he had given up the idea of going on to london to execute the codicil that could be done at fox hill if need were he felt tired and ill and shivery he thought he had taken a chill in the cemetery and that the best thing he could do was to go home he had a bad night disturbed by a short hard cough which was worse next morning lady valeria sent for the doctor who pronounced the indisposition an acute attack of bronchitis the patient was very feverish and the utmost care was needed happily the valet was a good nurse and lady valeria seemed devoted she sat by her husband's bedside and read to him and ministered to him with the tenderest care you could not be better off said the medical man who was of the cheery old school we shall make you all right in a day or two knowing perfectly well that the patient was in for a fortnight's close confinement and severe regimen the general endured his poultices and blisters meekly but chafed at the hot room and the hissing steam kettle tis worse than being wounded on the field of battle he said and then half asleep and half delirious he began to talk about sir george varney's summons the scoundrel wants to make a public scandal he muttered he will bring my wife's name before the public i thought by this time you must have been tired of bothwell graham he said repeating the words which had stung him almost to madness valeria knelt by her husband's pillow and laid her head against it listening intently to those muttered speeches she found out that sir george varney had sent the general a summons to a police court that the story of the blow in the veranda would be sifted in a public inquiry that the insult offered to the wife the prompt retaliation of the husband would be reported in the newspapers written about commented upon everywhere it was just the kind of thing to get into the society papers and although lady valeria's relations had not unfrequently figured in those very papers with various degrees of discredit to themselves and amusement to the general public she shrank with an abhorrent feeling from the idea of seeing her own name there the day named in the summons was a week off and judging from general harborough's condition it did not seem likely that he would be in a fit state to answer to the summons in person the idea of it evidently preyed upon his mind and added fuel to the fire of the fever the day came and general harborough had obeyed a mightier summons and had gone to appear before the bar of a greater court lady valeria was a widow the codicil had not been executed so lady valeria was a very rich widow End of chapter 7